Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, November 18th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. To keep up with our department on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LA Public Health, or visit our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. And now, here's Supervisor Barger. Thank you. Hello and good afternoon. I'm Supervisor Catherine Barger, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Dr. Barbara Ferrer, the Los Angeles Director of Public, War- uh, Public Health, will provide an update on the latest COVID-19 trends and efforts to stem the recent increase in case counts and the rate of positivity. Dr. Christina Galley, Director of Department of, Pub- of Health Services, is also going to provide information on current utilization of the county hospital system. Unfortunately, the seven-day COVID-19 case averages have nearly doubled since the beginning of November, and hospitalizations have increased from an average of about 900 a day to more than 1,000 a day during the same period. The Department of Public Health has attributed much of the recent rise in case numbers to an increase in gatherings. As many of you heard yesterday, the county announced additional precautions that will take effect on Friday to help protect public health and ensure the safety and well-being of our residents. I understand that there's been some confusion over the last couple of days, but I'd like to clarify that this is not a curfew or lockdown, but a precautionary measure while requiring non-essential businesses such as restaurants, breweries, wineries, and retail operations to close between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. We are also asking that personal care services be conducted by appointment only and limit their capacity of operations. I want to emphasize that approximately 95% of businesses that have reopened have been in compliance with public health guidelines. However, we are implementing these precautions to help prevent the ongoing community transmissions. We hope these actions get the attention of individuals who are not using caution in social settings and encourage them to be vigilant. These precautions are safety measures and not unique to Los Angeles County. Cases are rising throughout California and across the nation. I wanna highlight that while our numbers are rising, California does have the eighth lowest positivity rate nationwide. And there is hope on the horizon with promising vaccines and therapeutic treatments. We are at a crucial juncture and we need to call on all of our residents, businesses and organizations to do what science tells us is right. Please continue to wear a mask, observe six six feet of space, and don't congregate with people that you don't live with. These are important things to remember. Our residents and our communities have been patient throughout this process, but we need to continue to do the right thing now more than ever. It will help us save lives, preserve hospital capacity for everyone who needs it, and get us through some of our most challenging weeks yet to come. With everyone pulling together, we can avoid the surging case counts and rising hospitalizations that will necessitate any more stringent measures in the future. I truly do thank you for your partnership during this process. I know it is difficult, but I'm confident that we can do it together. With that, I would like to invite Dr. Barbara Ferrer up to give the daily count. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone, and and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Supervisor Barger, and to the entire Board of Supervisors. As Supervisor Barger mentioned, yesterday the county took action 
to address the surge in COVID-19 cases uh, that the county is currently experiencing. I want to thank the board for continuing to make health and safety a priority and for their tireless leadership throughout this pandemic. In light of the steep increases in cases and hospitalizations, uh, we are updating our health officer order to reflect the implementation on Friday of more restrictive measures in an effort to reduce transmission of COVID-19. We are focused in two areas, reducing the possibility for crowding and reducing the potential for exposures in settings where people are not always wearing their face coverings. I'll take the first slide, please. On Friday, the following safeguards and restrictions will go into effect. For non-essential businesses permitted to operate indoors, including retail stores, offices, and personal care services, occupancy will be limited to 25% of the maximum occupancy allowed. The number of patrons at outdoor restaurants, breweries, and wineries will be limited to 50% of the maximum outdoor capacity. The number of customers at card rooms, outdoor mini golf, go-karts, and batting cages will also be limited to 50% of maximum outdoor capacity. Services at personal care establishments may only be provided by appointment to customers wearing face coverings by staff wearing face coverings. Services that require either the customer or the staff to remove their face coverings, such as facials and shaves, are no longer permitted. Food and drinks cannot be served as the, at these establishments to customers. Restaurants, breweries, wineries, bars, and all other non-essential retail establishments must close from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And as Supervisor Barger mentioned, this is not a curfew, and all of these sites will be able to continue with pickup, takeout, and delivery services after 10 p.m. Outdoor gatherings may only include 15 people who are members of no more than three households. In addition, the county has established, and I'll take the next slide, uh, has established thresholds for additional actions if cases and or hospitalizations continue to increase. If the five-day average of cases is 4,000 or more, or hospitalizations are more than 1,750 per day, outdoor and indoor services at restaurants, breweries, wineries, and bars will be prohibited, and these businesses will only be able to offer pickup and delivery. If the five-day average of cases is 4,500 or more, or hospitalizations are more than 2,000 per day, a safer-at-home order will be mandated for three weeks. The order would only allow essential and emergency workers and those securing essential services to leave their homes. In addition, a 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew would be mandated with essential workers exempt. We're reminded that we face one of the most dangerous moments in this pandemic and that the only effective path forward requires immediate action and unfortunately, additional sacrifice. When the rate of increase is as high as it is right now, it can be harder to slow the spread. Heading into colder months and the flu season compounds the sense of urgency. Next slide. 
If we continue at the rate of increase in cases and hospitalizations during this current, that we've seen during this current surge, by early December, daily cases could be more than 4,000 per day, and daily hospitalizations could be between 1,600 and 2,600. This is less than three weeks from now. We should each ask ourselves and those we care about to commit to making the changes we know will prevent a great deal of suffering and death from COVID-19. Change any plans for indoor gatherings that involve people not in your household. Avoid all activities where there will be crowds and where it's hard to maintain a distance of at least six feet from others. Wear face coverings inside and outside if you're with people who are older or who have underlying health conditions, and this includes people in your own household. And make sure to follow all the rules at businesses, work sites, and retail establishment. I know it's frustrating for all of us to feel like we're moving in the wrong direction. And I do not want us to look at the past months and all the work we've done to slow the fret, spread and see failure. We have not failed. We have taken action in the past and we've worked together both early in the pandemic and in the summer. And we've been successful in preventing transmission in our communities. And we just have to get back to doing that work again. I'll take the next slide. COVID-19 is relentless. And we've seen other communities and states where there are few or no restrictions see devastating numbers of people becoming seriously ill and passing away. This slide shows in Utah the current crude case rate is currently over 1,200 people who are positive per 100,000 residents. In Indiana, the rate is 1,100 per 100,000 people. Here in California, in spite of the fact that, as you can see, we're surging, uh, our recent case average has been around 250 cases per 100,000 people. What we did in the past worked, but we need to renew our commitment and our diligence in slowing the spread of COVID-19. And the restrictions that are in place also work. And it's unfortunate that we're back uh, to having additional restrictions. But we cannot be in the same place or space where other states have headed. We cannot jeopardize our healthcare system. Uh, I'll take the next slide. Uh, now to update you on our current status. Uh, we're sad to report an additional 36 people have passed away. 16 of the people who died are over the age of 80 and 12 people who passed away in this age group had underlying health conditions. Nine people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79, and all of the people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Eight people who passed away are between the ages of 50 and 64, and seven people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Two people who died are between the ages of 30 and 49, and one person in this age group had underlying health conditions. Information on the one death reported by the city of Pasadena is available at cityofpasadena.net. Of the 35 newly reported deaths today, excluding the death in Pasadena, five were people who resided in our skilled nursing facilities. And this does unfortunately 
bring the total number of deaths to 7,335 across our county. Our deepest sympathies go out to everyone who is experiencing the sorrow of losing a loved one or a friend from COVID-19. We wish you comfort and healing during this most difficult time. For the 6,920 people who have passed away where race and ethnicity has been identified, 52% are Latinx, 23% are white, 14% are Asian, 10% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with, an, with another race or ethnicity. We are reporting today uh, 3,944 new cases, and this brings the total number of cases in LA County to 348,336. These cases include 14,487 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 3,160 cases reported by the city of Pasadena, both which have independent public health departments. We're reporting a total of 2,232 confirmed cases among people experiencing homelessness. Uh, 1,188 people are currently hospitalized with COVID-19, and 27% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU, and 15% are on ventilators. This represents uh, nine days of a continued increase in the numbers of people hospitalized. We've investigated a total of 2,421 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we've also seen an increase in our outbreak investigations, and we now have 482 ongoing investigations. We have closed 1,939 investigations. We're sad to report that 3,094 residents in institutional settings have passed away from COVID-19, and that 2,736 of the people who died in institutional settings resided in our skilled nursing facilities. We are reporting 4,024 confirmed cases at some point in jail facilities. 3,508 are among people who are incarcerated and 516 are among staff. There are 270 cases in the state prison, 195 among people who are incarcerated and 75 among staff. And there are 760 cases in the federal prison facilities 743 among people who are incarcerated and 17 among staff. There's 187 cases in the juvenile facilities, 87 among youth and 100 among staff. To date, over 3.4 million people have been tested and had test results reported in LA County. And the cumulative positivity rate is almost 10%. The next slide. As always on Wednesday, we review this county's recovery measures. This slide shows the seven-day average, uh, seven average daily number of COVID-19 cases by episode date. As a reminder, episode date is the date a person took a test or first experienced COVID-19 symptoms. And you can see on this graph, the current surge in cases is highly evident and has been particularly pronounced since November 1st. On that day, the average daily cases were a little over 1,100. One week later, on November 8th, the average daily cases was almost 2,000. 
and today we're almost at 4,000 cases. I cannot stress enough how concerning this is. Next slide. This slide also shows our test positivity rate, or the percentage of tests that are done that come back positive. Like cases, our positivity rate is also increasing. On November 8th, the positivity rate for LA County was 5.1% compared to 3.9% on November 1st. Today, our test positivity rate is 7.1%. The increasing test positivity rates are more evidence of increased community transmission. Next slide. The daily number of hospitalizations of people with COVID-19 is one of our most reliable metrics in understanding how we're doing at reducing the impact of illness severity uh, with transmission of the virus. It paints a picture of how many people have become seriously ill. And as cases have increased over recent weeks, unfortunately, we're now seeing hospitalizations also steadily increase. On November 1st, the average number of people hospitalized for COVID-19 was 791. Two weeks later, on the 14th, that number had increased to 1,010. And as I noted today, we're now approaching 1,100. We continue, uh, on the next slide please, uh, we continue to see a decrease in daily deaths from COVID-19. On November 8th, the average number of deaths per day was 10. That's the lowest number we've seen since the very early days of the pandemic in March. The continued decrease in deaths is likely in part because of improvements in treatment for people who are seriously ill from COVID-19. At the same time, we should expect that with the rapid increases in cases and hospitalizations, it is also likely that we will tragically see increases in people passing away from COVID-19. Next slide. And as we do every two weeks, I'm gonna drill down into the data we have that shows how different groups of residents are faring in terms of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. Our goal as we navigate through this pandemic is to make sure that we all get through it together as safely as possible. This means that we need to continue to understand the impact of race, ethnicity, and income on outcomes. This slide shows the daily adjusted rate of cases per 100,000 people broken down by race and ethnicity since April. The top line in yellow is the case rate for Latino Latinx residents, which continues to be higher than the case rate for all other groups. After the July surge through mid-September, we saw the gap between Latinx residents and all other residents begin to close. At its lowest point, Latinx residents had case rates that were less than two times that of white residents. However, as you can see on the graph, graph since mid-September, once again, the gap is growing, and in recent weeks, Latinx residents are experiencing case rates that are now almost uh, more than two times that of white and black residents. Asian, Asian residents, and that's the blue line at the bottom, continue to have the lowest case rates. Next slide. As with cases, Latinx residents, shown here again in yellow, also experience higher rates of hospitalizations than all other racial and ethnic groups. Black residents in green have also experienced consistently higher rates of hospitalization compared to white residents. That's shown by the orange line. Uh, white residents are the orange line. 
Uh, we can see that hospitalizations among Latinx reached a peak of 30 hospitalizations per 100,000 people uh, back on July 11th, and that rate was three times that of white residents. But the gap slowly closed from July through mid-September when hospitalizations uh, for Latinx fell to about eight hospitalizations per 100,000 people, and that dropped to only two times the rate of hospitalizations for white residents. Unfortunately, again, the chart shows that the gap is growing once more. In the same way that hospitalization rates amongst black residents hit a peak of 15.7 hospitalizations per 100,000 people back in July, and that rate was over two times the rate of white residents, the gap was closed significantly, um, and black residents on November 7th had a rate of hospitalization that was only uh, slightly higher than that for white residents. But once again, all of the rates are going up. Asian rates shown in blue have experienced hospitalizations that are similar to white residents, and since mid-August have had rates that are lower than all other racial and ethnic groups. Next slide, please. Deaths by race and ethnicity shows a similar trend. Latinx residents, again in yellow, have higher rates of death compared to residents of other races or ethnicities. And while once again we were making progress in reducing the gap amongst uh, people of color when compared to white and Asian residents, uh, we will face a similar fear of a widening gap uh, should we see our death rates uh, continue to go up. Next slide. In addition to race and ethnicity, we also track differences by income to understand the impact of low socioeconomic status on disease transmission and outcomes. Here you can see again the direct relationship between high rates of poverty and high case rates. Those who live in areas of the county with the highest rates of cases are also the same uh, people who live in communities with the highest poverty rates, and that's the orange and the yellow lines on the graph. Uh, next slide. Deaths by area of poverty. Again, the impact of area of poverty on death rates is apparent. Those residents who live in areas with the lowest resources and highest rates of poverty, shown in the orange line, have experienced consistently higher rates of death compared to their most affluent neighbors. Uh, and while we continue to see a downward trend of deaths across all income categories, uh, and that also uh, showed up as a closing slightly of the gap between the highest income areas and the lowest income areas, the death rate uh, in the lowest income areas was still more than two times that of those people who live in the highest income areas back on November 8th. Ensuring that we eliminate inequities in health outcomes remains a priority for all of our work. As we witness the surge in cases, efforts need to focus on continuing those actions that safeguard the hardest hit by the virus, protecting low-wage and essential workers, ensuring easy access to testing and health care, creating safety net programs to support those needing to quarantine or isolate, and partnering with our trusted community organizations. Next slide, please. In closing, I do want to extend my warmest wishes for a happy Thanksgiving to everyone across the county. The year has been extraordinarily difficult for almost everyone, and we're not celebrating the holidays the way we want to. Traveling, seeing friends and family, 
having parties, and doing so many of the activities we look forward to, because these activities are just not safe. I want to share with you a few tips for having a safer Thanksgiving. First, we strongly recommend that no one travel at this time. If you do choose to travel, please follow the state's guidelines on travel, including quarantining for 14 days after you return home. It's best to stay home and celebrate with people who live in your household. Connect with friends and families uh, you don't live with by using all of the technology that allows us to see and hear from each other from afar. If you do choose to gather, closely follow the guidance for private gatherings. Gather outdoors with no more than two other households and a total of 15 people. Wear face coverings unless you're eating or drinking and stay at least six feet apart from those not in your household. Do not share food or utensils and limit the gathering as much as possible to less than two hours. Finally, if you have the means to give to others, donate to your local food pantry or food drive to help ensure that those facing financial hardships have enough to eat this holiday season. You can find ways to help at covid19.lacounty.gov food. It's been a strange and difficult year, but I want to share that I'm thankful for all of you across our community. I'm thankful to live among neighbors who are kind and care for each other. I'm thankful to work with a team of people who have dedicated their lives and their careers to helping each other. And I'm thankful that my family and friends have found ways to stay together and stay connected even from afar. Thank you, LA County, for continuing to work together, for sacrificing for others, and doing what it takes to get through this very difficult time. Please know that I and our entire team at the Public Health are grateful for all you do and all you are. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Christina Galley to provide updates from the Department of Health Services. Hi, good afternoon. Clearly, we are at a crossroads in the COVID-19 pandemic again and are at a dangerous place with respect to our overall cases and hospitalizations. As you know, we've been at this point before, but the message is still critical that you've heard every time up until this point. Each of us must continue to individually assess what we are doing with our daily activities and our behaviors and rededicate ourselves to the practices that we know can curb transmission of COVID-19 within our communities. I'll begin with looking at the DHS hospital bed demand model and then I'll touch briefly on testing. If you could turn to the first slide. First, let's look at the community transmission. Remember, the model estimates transmission in the community two to three weeks ago using the number of new daily hospitalizations of COVID-19. The estimated transmission number, or R, is showing at 1.18. This is a marked increase from last week when we estimated that the R was 1.03. Recall that when R is greater than one, then the number of new cases will continue to increase over time. The highest R that we have seen since the beginning of the pandemic and the initial stay-at-home order was in late June at 1.26. If we look at the white line on the slide illustrating the rate of community transmission, we see that transmission began climbing steeply in late October. It is that transmission in our communities two to three weeks ago that is now translating into the increased hospitalizations that we see today. Turn to the next slide, please. 
Last week, I, this was the slide on the new hospitalizations. We were seeing at that time only a very gradual increase in new hospitalizations on a daily basis. And now the next slide. But the data from this week shows a marked difference. The model looks very different than what we showed last week. We are seeing a significant increase in the number of new patients that must be admitted to the hospital with COVID-19. This is shown by the uptick in the white line of the daily new cases. While the steep increase in hospitalizations has only been going on for one week, we cannot ignore the facts. In September, we saw about 100 new cases of patients with COVID-19 needing to be admitted to the hospital every day. Now that number is closer to 200. If we look at the range of uncertainty going forward as expressed in the red shaded area, then the projected trend over the next four weeks is concerning. Despite the range of uncertainty that we have, which is broad, the message is very clear. It is highly likely that we will experience the highest rates of hospitalizations that we have seen in the COVID-19 pandemic to date within the next month, unless we take action immediately to substantially reduce transmission within our communities. And even if we do take decisive action today, even if everyone does their part, we will continue to see an increase in hospitalizations for at least the next two to three weeks, as it typically takes that long for those who have been exposed to become ill and require hospital-level care. Can you go to the next slide? This slide looks at total hospital census, or the number of people in the hospital with COVID-19 at any one time. As of today, we have sufficient hospital capacity as the white line is below the dotted red capacity line. However, without this rapid change in behavior, the white line is projected to rise to a level that surpasses the current capacity of our hospital system. To accommodate this volume, hospitals will need to take action, which they are ready and prepared to do, which includes discharging patients who don't require hospital-level care, reducing the inflow of patients in by canceling elective and non-essential surgeries and procedures, and opening up additional capacity wherever possible. Turn to the next slide, please. This next slide focuses on intensive care unit or ICU-level care. Potential limitations in our ICUs are a cause of concern. Without rapid action to stop the spread of COVID, demand for ICUs will outstrip the supply of beds, and hospitals will have to take drastic action to be able to meet the needs of those who require an ICU level of care, whether it's for COVID or non-COVID causes. And remember, influenza season, it will start soon, and could end up using up a meaningful portion of hospital capacity. Every hospital bed that is filled by someone with influenza is a bed that is not available for someone with COVID-19. Please, if you have not yet gotten your influenza vaccination, please do so today. Hospitals throughout the county, as I mentioned, have surge plans, and those same surge plans can make beds in the ICU just as they can make regular medical surgical level acute care beds. They will cancel surgeries and procedures that are not essential. They will onboard additional staff to open up new beds and they will work to discharge patients wherever clinically appropriate. However, the primary limiting factor on expanding bed supply is the availability of staff who are highly trained in an ICU environment. And that is not a staff that is easy to come by. While hospitals can flex up their staffing and flex up their beds, it is not an infinite possibility to do, so, to do so. The resources are not unlimited, and we must not take these resources and the staff that are behind them working on the front lines for granted. 
even if we don't get to this extreme scenarios that are outlined in some of the shading in these slides, it doesn't mean that the situation is okay. The daily hospital numbers that you hear represent real people, people with families and loved ones who are very, very sick with COVID-19 right now. At this current moment, there are about 1,200 people in a hospital in Los Angeles County with COVID-19. About a quarter of them are in the intensive care unit, and about two-thirds of those are on a ventilator. And unfortunately, based on what we know so far in this pandemic, about half of those on a ventilator will unfortunately die. This is a serious disease, and it should not be taken lightly. Even if you don't know someone who has passed away from COVID, or you don't know someone who is suffering long-term symptoms and consequences of the disease, even though they have technically recovered, please don't forget how COVID-19 is deeply personal and tragic for so many other people around you in this county. Our actions have consequences. Not wearing a mask has consequences. Interacting with those outside of your household has consequences. These Things that we must do are important and critical and can stem the transmission of COVID. I'll shift now to talk briefly about testing. As the new daily cases and hospitalizations have increased over the past three weeks, we've seen an increase in the demand for testing at the county and other county uh, uh, and city operated and state operated testing sites. Over the past week alone, we've seen the demand for testing increase, and we've added about 40% additional capacity across all of our various partners to be able to provide sufficient testing access for those who need it. With that increased access, we still have currently about one-third of our total slots that are unused at the current time. We are continuing to seek alternative methods to further expand testing access, and we'll share more information about this in the coming weeks. That said, testing alone is not enough. When combined with close adherence to, per, to public health measures, taking the steps to reduce transmission and following quarantine and isolation orders, testing can be one important piece of a much broader strategy for getting transmission back under control. But testing by itself without those other activities is dangerous. Testing alone does not reduce your risk of transmission. And your negative result today means that you are probably not infected with COVID-19 on the day of your test. It says nothing about what you are on the day your test result comes back the next day or the day after that. Using a test as a permission slip for engaging in activities that go against the core public health measures that Dr. Ferrer just reviewed is reckless and will result in otherwise avoidable loss of lives within our county. So please remember the things that do work. Wearing a mask works. It protects you and it protects others. Even if you don't have symptoms or you think you feel fine or you think the other people around you look or feel fine. The mask is the single best weapon that we have against COVID. And it is how we can show compassion and concern for others around us. And it is the ticket to getting us back on the path to reopening. Please continue those other core public health practices. Social distancing, avoiding crowds and gatherings, washing your hands. And remember, if you are exposed, it can take two days and sometimes up to 14 days before you might come down with symptoms or before your test would turn positive. So if you have been exposed, you have to quarantine at home, away from others for the full 14 days, even if you choose to get tested in that time period and even if your test is negative. And if your test is positive, it's important that you notify other people so that they also can quarantine and seek testing if needed. 
to help those who test positive communicate with those that they come in close contact with today, this morning, with our result notification partner, Halfana, we launched digital contact tracing so that the exposure notification time can be reduced from days to hours. This is only one of many aspects of the county's contact tracing effort that is led by the Department of Public Health. With this feature on the county's testing platform, if you are notified that you tested positive after testing at an LA County operated testing site, then you will have the option to immediately and anonymously notify anyone with whom you recently came into close contact using your mobile phone or your computer. Your close contacts then instantly will receive a notification from Healthvana, alerting them that they may have been exposed to COVID-19 and providing links to resources, including locations where they can receive a free COVID test. In just the first few hours since we launched this morning, already 10% of the patients who tested and received results back this morning that were positive in Los Angeles County used it to notify their close contacts. And of those close contacts who received a notification, about 50% had reviewed the resources related to quarantine and self-isolation and resources about where they can get tested. In closing, as we prepare for Thanksgiving, please do follow Dr. Ferrer's suggestions about how to celebrate safely. And in the spirit of gratitude, I want to extend my deep appreciation for all those healthcare workers on the front line throughout this entire pandemic. Your work is essential and it is deeply, deeply appreciated. We'll now turn it over for questions. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question today, you may press one, then zero on your telephone keypad and should hear a tone indicating that you've been placed in queue. Again, phone questions, you may press one and then zero. We'll go first to the line of Ron Lynn with the LA Times. The line is open. Thank you, uh, Dr. Ferrer, for speaking with us and taking our questions. Uh, last week, you shared with us a timeline of the second surge in cases, essentially showing us that uh, the surge in cases that began around Memorial Day um, uh, was followed by a peak in death uh, two months later. Do you think it's plausible that the current surge, um, depending on when you're, you're placing it, could result in daily death peaking by Christmas or early January? Is it possible this third surge could be our deadliest surge? And based on our current trajectory, uh, when do you think we will hit the threshold to close outdoor dining rooms and then possibly hit the red line to hit the safer at home order? I mean, even today's cases are close to 4,000, but and by my rough count are, are pretty, are the worst since uh, late July. So I'm wondering if, if it's possible we could cross uh, any of these two red lines as early as this week. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for the questions. Um, uh, let me just uh, probably start with sort of deaths. Um, I, I think there's, there's probably a silver lining here. I think we've talked about it a little bit, but it's worth emphasizing. There's a lot of uh, better practices that are happening at healthcare facilities. You know, physicians and clinicians have learned a lot more about how to treat people with COVID-19, and the mortality rate overall uh, is lower than it was uh, really at any point uh, during the pandemic. And we owe a debt of gratitude uh, to all of our healthcare workers for making that possible. And as you know, there's also additional therapeutics. Um, my hope would be that um, we don't have, because of that, we don't have the deadliest, uh, you know, sort of uh, time for, for people here in the county uh, following this surge, uh, because I think we do have 
the opportunity, and we've seen the opportunity uh, in hospitals uh, to reduce that mortality rate. But if our case rates keep going up uh, and our hospitalization rates are higher than they were in July, uh, there's no way that that won't uh, perhaps wipe out some of the gains we've made uh, by being able to, to save more lives. So uh, this is an, a numbers uh, you know, issue uh, for all of us, and, and we all have to just keep in mind those relationships. Cases go up, then hospitalizations go up, and then deaths go up. Uh, and if we start exceeding the level of surge on cases that we saw in July, uh, we'll have a big problem in hospitals and we'll have uh, an increasing problem with the most unfortunate of all events, with more people dying. Um, in terms of like when, when will we get there, um, so I, I want to start by saying I don't think it's inevitable that we do get there. You know, I, I hope with every single bone in my body uh, that we don't get there. Uh, we put the thresholds out so that everyone knows what triggers additional actions. Uh, the hope is that uh, we do every single thing we can starting right now. We're, we're a little behind, to be honest. We've talked about this now for three weeks, uh, that you know the behaviors we do today uh, affect our case rates a couple of weeks from now. Um, so my hope is we're not going to see in these next couple of weeks this continued acceleration of cases because of behaviors uh, we were engaging in two weeks ago. And I don't have any you know, sort of way to know that except that this has been a community that has rallied before and done the right thing. And if there ever was a time to sort of get back to doing the right thing, it's right now. And that avoids us uh, having to reach any additional thresholds uh, that would require additional uh, measures that are going to increase the level of sacrifice and hurt uh, for, for many, many families uh, across the county. I'll take the next question. Thank you. That's from Brian Malay with uh, Associated Press. Your line is open. Thank you, Dr. Ferrer. Uh, why isn't L.A. using the same metric as the state with infection rates and per capita cases and doesn't using the raw cases ensure a higher number simply because more people are getting tested? And if it's important to act now, why wait three days to impose these new restrictions when L.A. is already on the cusp of 4,000 cases a day? Uh, finally, how much does the, does the photo of a maskless Governor Newsom at a group dinner undercut your message of the past few weeks? Yeah, um, thanks, thanks so much. Um, so we're waiting three days because we're asking people to make some changes in their practices at businesses, and, and they need a little bit of time to make those changes. I think uh, that's a respectful way to, to move this forward. I, I'm going to say the, the changes that are under each individual's person's um, you know, responsibility to make, those should happen right now. And we've been pushing those changes, and they're some of the most important changes uh, that, that need to be happening. If you're not wearing a face covering, you need to put it on and, and keep it on. Uh, you're not keeping your distance. You're going out to parties on the weekend. That needs to stop. Uh, those are things that can happen right now. We've asked for those to happen for the last three weeks. So we need everyone to get, you know, get with the program. Um, and, I, I, you know, so that, that's the wait. The wait is really to give uh, our, our businesses some time to make the adjustments, do the postings. We're getting out, uh, obviously, the protocols with more detail, 
about what does it mean when we say 50% of maximum occupancy outdoors, how are people supposed to do that? Uh, we also need to make sure that uh, every sector receives information from us. So, you know, we'll use our email blasts. So, you know, the delay is really to, to allow people to have good information and make, uh, make the appropriate uh, modifications. Um, you know, I, I, I hear you on, on the issue with, with the governor. And, you know, again, uh, I, I've, I'm a person that, you know, so I'm like a second, third, fourth chance person myself. Uh, everyone makes mistakes. That was a big mistake. It, it can't uh, and ought not to happen again. Uh, but I think uh, the governor's apologized, and uh, we all should, you know, accept the apology. You know, I think the more unfortunate issue is that we see hundreds and hundreds of pictures every day on Facebook accounts and social media accounts of lots of other people that aren't wearing their face coverings. And this is a cumulative issue. The more people that don't wear their face coverings, the more this virus spreads. So I think the lesson here is, you know, keep that face covering on, you know, play by the rules, everybody, uh, and, and we don't have to shut down uh, here in L.A. County again. I'll take the next question. Next, we'll go to the line of David Rosenfeld with L.A. Daily News. Please go ahead. Hi, Dr. Ferrer. Thank Hi, you David. so much. Uh, amid all the uh, restrictions that um, are being uh, tightened, one thing I noticed the county is not doing is uh, requiring any mandatory quarantine. You know, it's advised, but uh, some other cities and states and countries have gone further to uh, require quarantine or enforcing it also requiring uh, testing for, for travel yeah. uh, to people returning. Is that something you've considered? And I wonder why not. Yeah. And also, if, and if I might, just one more question. In regards to yesterday's, uh, uh, yesterday's decision, can you shed more light on how that was made? I know it was not a public discussion, but can you, can you share a little bit more about how that decision was made? Thanks. Sure. Uh, thanks a lot. So in, in terms of the issue with travelers, we're really just asking everyone to adhere to the governor's traveler travel advisory. Um, I think uh, this, again, you know, uh, hard to enforce. I, I mean, so much of this at this point, you know, everyone does ask us a lot of questions. How, how is, what's the enforcement strategy? The enforcement strategy is like compliance. Please comply. Um, you know, that we're a huge county. Uh, if we don't start doing the right things, uh, we all suffer more, all of us. So even all the people that are doing the right things get caught up in the fact that some people continue to not do the right thing. So I think the governor's travel advisory is a very strong recommendation. Our, you know, information is also being provided as a very strong recommendation. Um, you know, uh, if you travel, come back and quarantine. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's fairly straightforward. If you travel out of the region, out of the country, out of the state, when you return to California, 14 days of quarantine. We ask our businesses to, to relay that information. We're asking schools and universities to make sure that their students know that, um, that you know, travel is not advised. And if you must travel, then you're subject uh, to, as you noted, a, a recommended quarantine. So I like that better than voluntary. It is voluntary, but it's highly recommended. Um, and then I think um, in terms of uh, the last question about sort of how we make decisions, uh, you know, we work very closely with the Board of Supervisors. Uh, we allow them to ask us questions. We answer all their questions. And then, as you've noted, throughout the pandemic, uh, we work towards consensus decisions. Uh, so, in fact, uh, the Board has reviewed 
uh, all of our recommendations. Uh, they are in agreement uh, that this is an unfortunate time for us, but one that demands a quick action, and uh, this is action that we take collectively uh, here in the county. We'll take one more question. Thank you. We'll go to the line of Francine Kiefer with the Christian Science Monitor. Your line is open. Hi, Dr. Ferrer. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I'd like to ask you about how people perceive the logic or illogic of COVID rules. And I, I'm not really talking about the hygiene measures that are mentioned over and over again, but for instance, these new operating hours, people could easily wonder, oh, does COVID go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night? Or even if you look more broadly, the governor pulling the emergency break and saying, okay, you counties, now you need to go up to the purple level. Well, LA is in the purple level and it's having a COVID surge. So you can imagine some people might be questioning or, you know, saying, does this make sense with rules? And I wondered if you could just address that perception, the whole yeah. thought of what makes sense. Um, one of the reasons why I put up the slide earlier about what's going on in, in those states that have no rules or have few rules is to show that uh, the rules make sense. And if we didn't have those rules, the L.A. County and the state would be in much worse situations. Uh, we've all seen the pictures of hospital systems overwhelmed. And I'm going to, you know, just keep reiterating uh, why that ends up being so important. It's not just that people with COVID-19 will have a hard time getting services. For all of you out there that may be in a car accident, or you may uh, have a heart attack, or you may unfortunately have a stroke, or have a serious asthma attack, uh, when the hospital system is overwhelmed, care for everyone gets seriously compromised. So we owe it to each other, we owe it to our healthcare workers, most importantly, to not keep transmitting this infection. And that's what these rules are about. It's giving us parameters and a framework for limiting the kind of mixing we do with others. And as I noted at the beginning, there are two things we know for sure. When you're around other people and you're not wearing your face covering, particularly uh, if you're eating, drinking, singing, uh, talking loudly, can be a lot of transmission. When you're in crowded situations, the same thing. There can be a fair amount of transmission. So all of the measures that we're proposing are uh, really aligned with trying to avoid people being in crowded places and spaces and trying to keep uh, at to a limit uh, the number of the amount of time and the number of activities that people are engaging with, with people that may not be in their households where they're not wearing their face coverings. Uh, but with that, we're going to now turn to uh, remarks in Spanish from Jackie Valenzuela. Buenas tardes. En vista del fuerte aumento de casos y hospitalizaciones que estamos viendo actualmente, uh, estamos actualizando nuestra orden del funcionario de salud para tomar medidas más restrictivas si los casos y las hospitalizaciones continúan uh, aumentando. Eh, first slide, please. El viernes entrarán en vigor las siguientes salvaguardias y restricciones. 
para los negocios no esenciales que están autoriz autorizados para operar en espacios interiores, incluidas las tiendas minoristas, oficinas, servicios de cuidado personal. Uh, la ocupación máxima permitida se limitará al 25%. El número de clientes al aire libre en los restaurantes, cerve cervecerías y bodegas se limitará al 50% de la capacidad máxima al aire libre. La capacidad máxima del número de clientes en las salas de cartas, mini golf, pistas de mini carritos y áreas deportivas de bateo uh, se limitará al 50% en espacios al aire libre. Los servicios en los salones de cuidado personal solo darán servicio a los clientes con cita previa y los empleados tanto como los clientes deben usar las cubiertas para la cara. No se permitirán los servicios que requieran que el cliente o que el personal se quite la cubierta facial, como los tratamientos faciales o los afeitados. Tampoco se pueden recibir alimentos ni bebidas, perdón, tampoco se pueden servir uh, alimentos ni bebidas a los clientes. Los restaurantes, cervecerías, bodegas, bares y todos los demás establecimientos minoristas no esenciales deben cerrar sus servicios a partir de las 10 p.m. hasta las 6 a.m. Las reuniones deben ser al aire libre y solo está permitido un máximo de 15 personas, incluyendo miembros de familia de no más de tres hogares. Next slide, please. El condado ha establecido límites para acciones adicionales si los casos o las hospitalizaciones continúan aumentando en el condado. Si el promedio de cinco días de casos Uh, es de 4,000 o más, o las hospitalizaciones son más de 1,750 por día, se prohibirán los alimentos al aire libre y en espacios interiores en restaurantes, cervecerías, bodegas y bares, y estos negocios solo podrán ofrecer servicios de reparto y entrega. Si el promedio de cinco días de casos es de 4,500 o más, y si las hospitalizaciones hospitalizaciones son más de 2,000 por día, se exigirá una orden de más seguros en casa por tres semanas. La orden solo permitiría salir de sus hogares a los trabajadores esenciales y a aquellas personas que, están, uh, que tienen que obtener servicios esenciales. Además, a las eh, a las 10 p.m. hasta las 6 a.m. Se, se impondría un toque de queda, solo excluyendo a trabajadores esenciales. Al afrontar uno de los momentos más peligrosos de la pandemia, eh, se nos recuerda que el único camino eficaz a seguir requiere una acción inmediata y lamentablemente un sacrificio adicional. Cuando la tasa de aumentos es tan alta como lo es ahora, puede ser más difícil frenar la propagación. La llegada de estos meses más fríos y la temporada de gripe agrava la urgencia. Next slide, please. Si el aumento de casos y hospitalizaciones continúa a este ritmo, uh, para el 6 de diciembre podríamos llegar a 4,000 casos nuevos por día. Y las hospitalizaciones diarias podrían estar entre 1,600 a 2,600. Esto es menos de tres semanas a partir de hoy. 
todos deberíamos preguntarnos a nosotros mismos y a quienes nos rodean si nos comprometemos a hacer estos cambios que sabemos que previenen mucho sufrimiento y muertes por COVID-19. Cambie cualquier plan de reunirse en espacios interiores que involucren a personas que no pertenecen a su hogar. Evite todas las actividades en las que hayan multitudes y en las que sea difícil mantener una distancia de seis pies de los demás. Use cubiertas para la cara dentro y fuera de casa si está con personas mayores que, o personas que tienen problemas delicados de salud. Y asegúrese de seguir todas las reglas en negocios, lugares de trabajo y establecimientos minoristas. Es frustrante para todos nosotros sentir que nos estamos moviendo en la dirección equivocada, pero no queremos uh, reflexionar en los últimos meses y el, todo el trabajo que hemos hecho para frenar la propagación y ver el fracaso ahora. No hemos fallado, hemos eh, tomado medidas y trabajado juntos, así como lo hicimos tanto a principios de la pandemia como en el verano, y hemos tenido éxito en prevenir la transmisión en nuestras comunidades. Y tenemos que volver a hacer este trabajo. Next slide, please. COVID-19 es implacable. Y hemos visto a otras comunidades y estados uh, que tienen pocas o ninguna restricción. Y a la vez eh, vemos un número devastador de personas que se enferman gravemente y fallecen. Este gráfico nos muestra en, en Utah la tasa de casos actuales es de más de 1,200 por cada 100,000 personas. En Indiana, la tasa es de 1,100 por cada 100,000 habitantes. En California, la tasa es de alrededor de 250 por cada 100,000 personas. Lo que hemos hecho ha funcionado, pero necesitamos renovar nuestro compromiso y diligencia para frenar la propagación de COVID-19. Ahora, para actualizarlo sobre nuestro estado actual, estamos tristes de reportar 36 fallecimientos adicionales hoy. Esto eleva el número total de muertes a 7,335 en el condado de Los Ángeles. Um, para las 6,920 personas que fallecieron, donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, 52% son latinos, 23% son blancos, 14% son asiáticos, 10% son afroamericanos, menos de 1% son nativos de Hawái o de las islas del Pacífico y 1% son de otra raza etnicidad. Hoy también reportamos 3,944 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 348,336. Estamos reportando 2,332 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. 1,188 casos confirmados están hospitalizados actualmente. El 27% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 15% están en ventiladores. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 40,156, incluidos personal y residentes. Nos da tristeza informar que 3,094 residentes en entornos institucionales han muerto a causa de COVID-19. 2,736 de estas personas que murieron en entornos institucionales residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Estamos reportando 4,024 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel. 
Hay 270 casos en la prisión estatal, 760 casos en las prisiones federales y 187 casos en los centros de menores. Más de 3.4 millones de resultados de pruebas de COVID-19 se han reportado al condado de Los Ángeles y el 9% fueron positivas. Next slide, please. Como siempre, los miércoles revisamos los indicadores de recuperación del condado. Este gráfico nos muestra la cantidad diaria del promedio de 7 días de casos de COVID-19 por fecha de episodio. La fecha del episodio es la fecha en que una persona se hizo la prueba o sintió por primera vez uh, síntomas de COVID-19. Como podemos ver en este gráfico, el actual aumento de casos es evidente y extremadamente notable desde el primero de noviembre. Ese día, el promedio de casos diarios fue un poco más de 1,100 y una, y una semana después, el 8 de noviembre, el promedio de casos diarios fue de casi 2,000. Esta situación es bastante preocupante. Next slide, please. Este gráfico muestra el porcentaje de pruebas que se realizan que dan positivo. Como en los casos, nuestra tasa de positividad también está aumentando. El 8 de noviembre, la tasa de positividad para el condado de Los Ángeles fue del 5.1% en comparación al 1 de noviembre, que fue del 3.9%. La tasa de positividad de la prueba de hoy es del 7.1%. El aumento de los porcentajes de positividad de las pruebas es muy preocupante y es evidente más eh, del incremento de transmisión que estamos viendo dentro de nuestras comunidades. Next slide, please. La cantidad diaria de hospitalizaciones de personas con COVID-19 es uno de nuestros indicadores más confiables para comprender uh, cómo estamos haciendo para reducir la transmisión del virus. Nos deja saber cuántas personas se han enfermado gravemente y a medida que los casos han aumentado en las últimas semanas, semanas ahora vemos que las hospitalizaciones también aumentan constantemente. El primero de noviembre, el número promedio diario de personas hospitalizadas por COVID-19 era de 791. Dos semanas después, el 14 de noviembre, ese número había aumentado a 1,010. Next slide, please. Continuamos reportando una disminución en los fallecimientos diarios por causa de COVID-19. El 8 de noviembre, el número promedio de fallecimientos por día fue de 10, el número más bajo que eh, hemos visto desde marzo. Es probable que la continua disminución de fallecimientos se deba en parte a las mejoras en el tratamiento para las personas que están gravemente enfermas por COVID-19. Al mismo tiempo, sabemos que con el rápido aumento de casos y hospitalizaciones, es probable que también veamos uh, aumentos en las personas que fallecen por causas de COVID-19. Next slide, please. Ahora, como lo, lo hacemos cada dos semanas, vamos a profundizar en los datos que tenemos que muestran que están experimentando diferentes grupos de residentes en términos de casos, hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos. 
Nuestro objetivo mientras navegamos a, tra a través de esta pandemia es asegurarnos de que toda, toda la que todo lo superemos juntos de la manera más segura, más segura posible. Esto quiere decir que debemos seguir comprendiendo el impacto de la raza, el origen étnico, los ingresos y otros factores en los resultados. Este gráfico muestra la tasa diaria de casos ajustada por edad por cada 100,000 personas, separados por raza y etnicidad desde abril. La línea María es la tasa de casos para los residentes latinos, que sigue siendo más alta que de la de, lo, de la tasa de casos para todos los demás grupos. Después del aumento repentino de julio hasta mediados de septiembre, eh, vimos que la brecha entre los residentes latinos y otros residentes comenzaba a cerrarse. En su punto más bajo, los residentes latinos tenían tasas de casos que eran menos de dos veces mayores que la de los residentes blancos. Sin embargo, desde mediados de septiembre puede ver que la brecha está creciendo nuevamente y en las últimas semanas los residentes latinos están experimentando tasas de casos que son aproximadamente dos veces mayores que la de los residentes blancos y afroamericanos. Los residentes asiáticos representados por la línea azul uh, siguen teniendo tasas de casos más bajas. Next slide, please. Al igual que con los casos, los residentes latinos, la línea María, también experimentan tasas más altas de hospitalización que otros grupos raciales y étnicos. Los residentes afroamericanos, la línea verde, también han experimentado tasas de hospitalización consistentemente más altas en comparación con los residentes blancos, la línea anaranjada. Podemos ver que las hospitalizaciones entre los latinos alcanzaron 30 hospitalizaciones por cada 100,000 personas el 11 de julio, una tasa tres veces mayor que la de los residentes blancos. Esta brecha se cerró lentamente desde julio hasta mediados de septiembre, cuando la tasa de hospitalización de los latinos se redujo a aproximadamente 8 hospitalizaciones por cada 100,000 personas, una tasa de hospitalización dos veces más alta que la de los residentes blancos. Desafortunadamente, este gráfico muestra que la brecha está creciendo nuevamente con residentes latinos que regresaron a casi 10.5 hospitalizaciones por cada 100,000 personas el 7 de noviembre, más del doble de la tasa de residentes blancos con 3.8 hospitalizaciones por 100,000 personas. De la misma manera, las tasas de hospitalización entre los residentes afroamericanos alcanzaron 15.7 hospitalizaciones por cada 100,000 personas a mediados de julio, una tasa que fue más de dos veces la tasa de los residentes blancos. Esta brecha se ha cerrado significativamente de, eh, desde ese momento y los residentes afroamericanos eh, el 7 de noviembre tuvieron una tasa de hospitalización de 5.6 hospitalizaciones por cada 100,000 personas, menos del 50% más alta que la tasa entre los residentes blancos. Los residentes asiáticos, la línea azul, han experimentado tasas de hospitalización similares a la de los residentes blancos y desde mediados de agosto han tenido tasas más bajas que todos los demás grupos raciales y étnicos. Next slide, please. 
los fallecimientos por raza y etnicidad muestran una tendencia similar. Los residentes latinos, la línea María, tienen tasas de muerte más altas en comparación con los residentes de otras razas o etnicidades. Las brechas entre los latinos y otros grupos alcanzaron su punto máximo después del aumento a fines de julio hasta principios de agosto, cuando vimos tasas de seis fallecimientos por día de, lati uh, de latinos por cada 100,000 personas que eran más de cuatro veces mayores que la de los residentes blancos, que se han quedado entre uno y dos fallecimientos por día por cada 100,000 personas desde mayo. De manera similar, los residentes afroamericanos, la línea verde, han tenido tasas de fallecimientos con una alta consistencia en comparación con los residentes blancos. Durante varios periodos de tiempo desde abril, los residentes afroamericanos experimentaron tasas de mortalidad de tres muertes por cada 100,000 personas por día. Es decir, la tasa es de más de dos veces más alta que la de los residentes blancos, la línea anaranjada. Desde mediados de septiembre, las tasas de mortalidad de todos los grupos raciales y étnicos han bajado y las diferencias han comenzado a cerrarse. El 6 de noviembre, los residentes latinos tenían una tasa de mortalidad de 1.33 por cada 100,000 personas, menos del doble que la de los residentes blancos. Es alentador ver que las tendencias en disminución sobre los fallecimientos y el cierre de esta brecha. Uh, al mismo tiempo, sabemos que estamos uh, en otro aumento en casos en el condado y somos conscientes de que esto podría tener un impacto devastador en el riesgo entre uh, nuestros residentes afroamericanos y latinos. Next slide, please. También observamos las diferencias por ingresos para comprender el impacto del bajo nivel socioeconómico en la transmisión y en los resultados de la enfermedad. Aquí pueden ver la relación directa entre las tasas de casos en las zonas de bajos recursos y la de altos recursos. Aquellos que viven en las áreas del condado con las tasas más altas de recursos también son las que tienen las tasas de pobreza más altas que se muestran aquí en las líneas amarillas uh, y la línea anaranjada. Next slide, please. Y aquí pueden ver el impacto de la pobreza del área en las tasas de mortalidad. Los residentes que viven en áreas con los recursos más bajos, la línea anaranjada, han experimentado tasas de fallecimientos consistentemente más altas en comparación con las personas que viven en áreas de más recursos, la línea azul. En las primeras etapas de la pandemia, las personas en las áreas de ingresos más bajos experimentaron tasas de muerte de hasta ocho fallecimientos por cada 100,000 personas, cuatro veces más que la de los residentes con ingresos más altos. Sin embargo, continuamos viendo una tendencia a la baja de fallecimientos en todas las categorías de ingresos, lo que también ha traído un cierre de la brecha entre las áreas de mayores ingresos y las áreas de menores ingresos. El 8 de noviembre, la tasa de mortalidad para las áreas de ingresos más bajos fue de 1.5 fallecimientos por cada 100,000, más del doble que la de las áreas de ingresos más altos. Asegurar que eliminemos eh, las iniquidades en los resultados de salud sigue siendo una prioridad. A medida que somos testigos de este aumento de casos, los esfuerzos deben centrarse y continuar con las acciones que protegen a los más afectados por el virus. 
proteger a los trabajadores esencial y, esenciales y con salarios bajos, garantizar un fácil acceso a las pruebas y atención médica, crear programas de redes de seguridad para apoyar a quienes lo necesiten y ponerse en cuarentena y por último asociarse con organizaciones comunitarias de confianza. Next slide, please. Para finalizar, queremos extender nuestros deseos de un feliz Día de Acción de Gracias a todos en el condado. Este año ha sido muy difícil para muchos y no estamos celebrando las fiestas de la manera que tanto queremos, viajando, visitando amigos y familiares, haciendo fiestas y haciendo muchas de las actividades que esperamos con ansias en esta época del año. Tristemente, este año no son seguras. Queremos compartir con ustedes algunos consejos eh, para tener un día de acción de gracias seguro. Primero, recomendamos que nadie viaje en este momento. Si decide viajar, siga las pautas estatales sobre viajes, incluida la cuarentena durante 14 días después de cuando regrese a casa. Quédese en casa y celebre con las personas que viven en su hogar. Conéctese con amigos y familiares con los que no viven con usted utilizando la tecnología, la cual nos permite vernos y escucharnos desde lejos. Si elige reunirse, siga de cerca la guía para reuniones privadas. Reúnase con no más de dos familias. Haga uso de las cubiertas para la cara y mantenga el distanciamiento físico al menos de seis pies de distancia. No comparta sus alimentos ni utensilios y que las reuniones no sean prolongadas solo por un máximo de dos horas. Finalmente, haga una donación de despensa de alimentos o colecta de alimentos para ayudar a otras personas uh, que no tengan lo suficiente para comer durante esta temporada. Puede encontrar um, diferentes formas de ayudar en covid19.lacounty.gov diagonal food. Ha sido un año tan difícil, pero nos gustaría expresarles que estamos muy agradecidos con todos ustedes en nuestra comunidad. Damos gracias de vivir entre vecinos que son amables y se cuidan unos a otros. Además, estamos agradecidos de trabajar con un equipo de personas que han dedicado sus vidas y carreras a ayudar a los demás. Damos gracias por nuestras familias y amigos, a quienes extrañaremos ver en persona este año, pero a quienes esperamos compartir y hablar con ellos virtualmente el Día de Acción de Gracias. Una vez más, el Condado de Los Ángeles, les damos las gracias por trabajar juntos. And now we'll go ahead to our questions in Spanish. Thank you. We have a question from Luis Tretro with Telemundo. Please go ahead. Jackie, gracias por tomar la pregunta. Si nos puedes hablar sobre lo que mencionaba la doctora Ferrer en torno a las hospitalizaciones que se espera que estén a su nivel más alto el próximo mes y qué significaría esto en, en, en las nuevas medidas que han anunciado restrictivas si es que hay la necesidad, si los casos siguen aumentando. Si por favor nos puedes explicar un poco qué es lo que vaticinan en, las próxima, en los próximos días para el condado. Uh -huh. Muchas gracias, Luis, uh, por esa pregunta. Es tan importante que tome, tomemos en cuenta uh, estas temporadas y nuestras acciones que tomamos porque sabemos que vemos más casos y más hospitalizaciones dentro de dos semanas más o menos después de, de reuniones o, o de temporadas donde las personas no siguen las pautas. Uh, así que es muy importante que sigamos uh, todos los protocolos que tengamos uh, en lugar uh, porque 
podemos ver estos uh, aumentos en hospitalizaciones, como ya estamos viendo, pero esto es tan uh, difícil porque lo que podemos ver es que uh, podamos uh, abrumar nuestro sistema de hospital, hospitales. Uh, esto es uh, difícil porque no solo no vamos a poder uh, recibir el cuidado médico para COVID-19, pero si hay alguna otra emergencia médica, puede ser un ataque de asma, un ataque de corazón, por ejemplo, Uh, y, y si están abrumados los hospitales, uh, no vamos a poder eh, recibir el cuidado y atención médica que necesitamos. Así que tenemos que seguir cuidándonos, si, siguiendo a uh, prevenir uh, más casos y más hospitalizaciones para que podamos reservar el cuidado médico que necesitamos, no solo para COVID-19, pero por, por cualquier otra uh, necesidad que tengamos. Okay, now we'll go ahead and move on to remarks in Armenian. Շնորհակալություն Վերահսկիչ Բարգերեն եւ Ամբողջ Վերահսկիչ Խորորթին։ Բարի օր բոլորին։ Հաշվի առնելով դեպքերի կտրուկ աճը եւ հոսպիտալացումը, մենք թարմացնում ենք մեր առողջապահության սպայի հրամանագիրը, որպիսի արտացոլ ենք ուրբատորվա ավելի սահմանափակող միջոցառումների իրականացումը, փորձելով նվազացնել COVID-19-ի փոխանցումը։ Մենք կենտրոնացած ենք երկու ուղղությունների վրա նվազացնել մարդաշատությունը հնարավորության չափ եւ նվազացնել ազդեցության հնարավորությունները այն պայմաններում որտեղ մարդիկ միշտ չէ որ կրում են դեմքի ծածկոցներ ուրբատ օրվանից ուժի մեջ կմտնի հետեւյալ երաշխիքները ու սահմանափակումները ոչ առաջին անհրաժեշտության բիզնեսների համար որը թույլատրվում է ներսում գործել ներառյալ մանրածախ խանութները գրասենյակները անձնական խնամքի ծառայությունները զբաղվածությամբ կսահմանափակվեն թույլատրելի զբաղվածության 25% տոկոսի սահմաններում բացօցյա ռեստորաններում գարեջերա գործարաններում գինու գործարաններում եւ հաճախորդների թիվը կսահմանափակվի 50% տոկոս բացօցյա զբաղվածության սահմաններում խաղասենյակներում բացօցյա մինի գոլֆում եւ խաղադաշտերի բացօցյա հաճախորդների քանակը կսահմանափակվի 50% զբաղվածության սահմաններում անհատական խնամքի հաստատություններում ծառայություններ կարող են մատուցվել նախնական ժամադրությամբ միայն դեպքի դեմքի ծածկոց կրող հաճախորդներին դեմքի ծածկոց կրող աշխատակիցների կողմից այն ծառայությունները որոնք հաճախորդի դեմքի մաշկի խնամքի եւ սափրելի առանց ծածկոց կպահանջվի արկելվում են այս հաստատություններում հաճախորդներին չի կարելի սնունդ եւ խմիչք մատուցել ռեստորանները գարետները գինու գործարանները բարերը եւ մանրածախ բոլոր այլ ոչ հիմնական հաստատությունները պետք է փակվեն 3-ոյան ժամը 10-ին միջև առավոտյան ժամը 6-ը ինչպես նշվեց վերահսկիչ բարգերը սա պարետային ժամ չէ բացօցյա հավաքույտները կարող են ներառյալ միայն 15 մարդ որոնք անդամ չեն ոչ ավելի քան 3 ընտանիքների բացի այդ վարչաշրջանը սահմանել է լրացուցիչ գործողություններ եթե դեպքեր կամ հոսպիտալացումը շարունակեն աճել եթե դեպքերը 5 օրյա միջինը 4000 կամ ավելի է կամ հոսպիտալացման օրեկան 1750-ից ավել է արկելվում է ռեստորաններում, գարեջրի գործարաններում, գինու գործարաններում եւ բարերում բացօցյա եւ փակ ճաշմատուցել 
եւ այդ ձեռնարկությունները կկարողանան առաջարկել միայն արակում եթե դեպքերի 5 օրյան միջինը 4500 կամ ավելին է կամ հոսպիտալացման օրեկան թիվը 2000-ից ավել է ապա ավելի անվտանգ տնային կարգադրությունը կգործի 3 շափատվա ընթացքում հրամանը թույլ կտա միայն անհրաժեշտ եւ արտակարգ իրավիճակների աշխատողներին եւ հիմնական ծառայություններին ապահովող անձանց դուրս գալ տանից բացի այդ ժամը 10-ից միջև առավոտյան ժամը 6-ը պարետային ժամքը սահմանվի առանց հիմնական աշխատողների ազատման մենք հիշում ենք երբ համաճարակի ամենավտանգավոր պահերից առաջ միակ արդյունավետ ուղի ուղին պահանջում է անհապաղ գործողություն եւ ցավոք լրացուցիչ զոհաբերություններ երբ աճի տեմպը նույնքան բարձր է որքան հիմա ապա տարածումը դանդաղեցնելը կարող է ավելի դժվար լինել դեպի ավելի ցուրտ ամիսների եւ գրիպի սեզոնը հրատապություն է առաջացնում եթե այս ընթացիկ ալիքի ընթացքում շարունակենք դեպքերի եւ հոսպիտալացումների աճի տեմպերով ապա միջև դեկտեմբերի 6-ը ամեն օր նոր դեպքերը կարող են հասնել 4000-ի իսկ ամենօրյան հոսպիտալացումը կարող է լինել 1600-ից 2600-ի միջև սա այսօրվա 3 շափատից էլ պակաս է կարծում եմ որ յուրաքանչյուրս պետք է ինքներս մեզ եւ նրանց ում համար մտահոգություն ունենք պարտավորվենք կատարել այն փոփոխությունները որոնք գիտենք որ կանխում են կովիդ-19-ի տարապանքներն ու մահերը փոխեք փակ հավաքույտների ցանկացած պլանը որում ներգրված են ոչ ընտանիքի մարտիկ խուսափեք բոլոր գործողություններից որտեղ մարտաշատ կլինի եւ որտեղ դժվար է 6 ոտնաչափ հերավորություն պահպանել մյուսներից ծածկոսներ կրեք ներսում եւ դրսում եթե գտնվում եք տարեց մարդկանց կամ առողջական հիմքում խնդիրներ ունեցող մարդկանց շրջապատում եւ համոզվեք որ հետևեք բոլոր կանոններին ձեռնարկություններում, աշխատատեղերում եւ մանրածախ հաստատություններում։ Բոլորիս համար հիաստապեցնող է զգալ, որ սխալ ուղությամբ ենք շարժում, բայց ես չեմ ուզում, որ նայեք անցած ամիսներին եւ մեր կատարած բոլոր աշխատանքների տարածումը դանդաղեցնելու եւ ծախողում տեսնելու համար։ Մենք ծախողված չենք։ Մենք գործողություններ ենք ձեռնարկել եւ միասին աշխատել ենք ինչպես համաճարակի սկզբին այնպես էլ ամրանը եւ հաջողությանը կախել փոխանցումը համայնքներում մենք պետք է նորից կատարենք այս աշխատանքը covid-19-ը անողոք եւ մենք տեսել ենք որ այլ համայնքներ եւ նահանգներ ովքեր քիչ սահմանափակ հակումներ ունեն տեսնում են կործարանար թվով մարդկանց ծանր հիվանդանալու եւ կյանքից հեռանալու դեպքեր յուտայում ներկայումս ոչ մշակված տեմպը ներկայումս գերազանցում է 1200 դեպք ամեն 100000 մարդու համար ինդիանայում այս ցուցանիշը կազմում է 1100 մարդ ամեն 100000 մարդու համար կալիֆորնիայում այս ցուցանիշը մոտ 250 է ամեն 100000 մարդու համար այստեղ լոս անջելոս շրջանում մեր վերջին դեպքերի միջին տեմպը կազմում է 20 ամեն 100000 մարդու համար այն ինչ մենք արել ենք արդյունք է տվել եւ մենք պիտի նորացնենք մեր նվիրվածությունը եւ ճանաչերությունը covid-19-ի տարածումը դանդաղեցնելու հարցում ներկա իրավիճակի վերաբերյալ 
այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 36 մահվան մասին այս մարդկանցից 16-ը 80 տարեկանից բարձր էին որոնցից 16-ն էլ ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ 9-ը 65 տարեկանից 79-ը որոնցից 9-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ 8 անձի տարիքը 50-ից 64-ն է եւ 7-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ 2 անձի տարիքը 50-ից 64-ն է եւ 1-ը ունեցել է ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 7335-ի Los Angeles շրջանում էթնիկ պատկանելությունը հետեւյալն է 52%-ը լատինո լատինեքս 23%-ը սպիտակ 14%-ը ասիական 10%-ը աֆրոամերիկացիներ 1%-ը բնիկ հավայան 1%-ը ալուրասա եւ էթնիկ խումբ այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 3944 նոր դեպքերի մասին սա բերում է Los Angeles շրջանի դրական դեպքերի թիվը 348336-ի այս դեպքերը ներառում են Long Beach քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 14487 դեպքեր իսկ Pasadena քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 3160 դեպքեր որոնք ունեն անկախ անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ մենք հայտնում ենք 2232 հաստատված դեպք անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 1188 մարդ, որոնցից 27-ը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանմունքում, իսկ 15%-ը միացված են շնչարական օդափոխիչների։ Քնություններ են կատարվում 2421 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ օժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ եւ քրեակ կատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 40156-ն են ներառյալ անձնակազմը եւ բնակիչները։ Այս դեպքերից 19655-ը բնակիչներ են եւ 20501-ը անձնակազմ։ Ցավով ենք հայտնում որ 3094 մարդ, ովքեր ապրում են ինստիտուցիոնալ պայմաններում, մահացել են COVID-19-ից եւ 2736 մարդ բնակվում են հմուտ բուժկույրական հաստատություններում։ Մենք ցավում ենք այս կորուստի համար։ Զեկուցում ենք, որ հաստատված 4024 դեպքեր արձանագրվել են քրեակ կատարողական հիմնարկներում։ 3508 դատապարտյալ եւ 516 աշխատակազմ 270 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում 195 բանտարկյալ եւ 75 աշխատակազմ 760 դեպք ֆեդերալ բանտերում 743 բանտարկյալ եւ 17 աշխատակազմ 187 դեպք անչափազների հաստատություններում 87 բանտարկյալ եւ 100 աշխատակազմ ավելի քան 3.4 միլիոն մարդ տեստավորվել են եւ արդյունքները զեկուցվել են Los Angeles շրջան, որոնցից 9%-ը դրական են։ Դեպքերի նման մեր դրականության մակարդակը նույնպես աճում է։ Նոեմբերի 8-ին Los Angeles շրջանի համար դրական դրույքը կազմել է 5.1%, Նոեմբերի 1-ին 3.9%-ի համեմատ։ 
այսօրվատ էստերի դրականչան մակարդակը 7 ամբողջ 1 տոքոս է։ Դրական տեստերի աճող տեմպերը ավելի մտահոքիչ վկայություն են համայնքների փոխանցման աճի համար։ Հոսպիտալացումների որեկան թիվը կովիտ 19 մարդկանց կանակը մեր ամնա անհուսալի ծությանիշներից մեկն է։ Հասկանալու, թե ինչպես ենք մենք վարվում վիրուսի պոխանցումը նվազեսնելու ուղությամ։ Այս պատկերում է այն մասին, թե կանի մարդ է լուրջ Նայնբերի մեկին կովիտ 19-ով հոսպիտալացված մարդկանց միջին որեկան թիվը կազմում էր 791, երկու շապատ անց նոյնբեր 14-ին այդ թիվը հասել է 1010, մահվան որեկան թիվը, մենք շարունակում ենք արձանագրել կովիտ 19-ից ամենորյա մահացության ինչ ամենացածր թիվն է, որ մենք տեսել ենք համաճարակի հենց առաջին օրերից։ Մահացության շառունակական նվազումը ամենային հավանականությամբ մասան պայմանավորված է կովիտ 19-ով ծանր հիվանդ ունեցող մարդկանց բուժման Վերջում ես ուզում եմ երախտագիտության տոնի իմ ամենաջեր մաղթանքները պոխանցել բոլորին վարճաշրջանում։ Այս տարին շատ դժվար էր և մենք տոներ չեինք նշում այնպես, ինչպես ծանկանում ենք ճանապարհորդել, Երախտագիտության ապահովելու համար նախ մենք խստորեն խորուրդ ենք տալիս այս պահին չճանապարորդել։ Եթե նախնդրում եք ճանապարորդել, հետևեք նահանգի ուղեցուցներին ճանապարորդյան վերաբերյալ։ Նրարյալ տում Միացեք ընկերներին և ընտանիքի հետ, որոնց հետ չեք ապրում, ոգտագործելով այն ամբողջ ստեղնալոգյան, որը թույլ է տալիս մեզ հերվից տեսնել և լսել մի միանց։ Եթե նախնդրում եք հավակվել, ապա հետևելով բացարությամբ ուտելու կամ խմելու ժամանակ և արնվազը 6 վուտ հերավորություն պահպանեք։ Մի կեսվեք ուտելիքով կամ սպասկով և սահմանապակեք հավակումը ոչ ավելի կան երկու ժամ։ Այնքան տարինակ և դժվար տարիեր, Ես շնորակալ եմ, որ աշխատում են մի թիմի հետ, ովքեր իրենց կյանքը և կարիերան նվիրել են ուրիշներին ոգնելու։ Ես շնորակալ եմ իմ ընտանիքի և ընկերների համար և ուրախ եմ, որ կապեր պահպանելու ուղիներն են
And now the remarks in Korean. 안녕하십니까? 계속되는 케이스 수와 병원 입원자 수의 증가로 인해서 금요일에 보건 담당자 명령을 업데이트하게 되었습니다. 두 가지 부면에서 주의를 기울일 것인데 무리를 지어서 모이는 확률을 줄이고 사람들이 얼굴 가리개를 사용하지 않는 환경에 노출되는 것을 줄이는 것입니다. 금요일에 다음의 안전수칙들과 제안들이 효력을 발휘하게 될 것입니다. 실내 영업이 허가된 모든 소매업체나 오피스, 개인 미용 서비스를 포함한 비필수 사업체 중에서 최대 수용 인원의 25%로 수용 인원을 제한합니다. 야외 식당과 양조장, 와이너리에서의 손님 수는 야외 최대 수용 인원의 50%로 제한합니다. 카드 게임장, 야외 미니 골프장, 고카트, 그리고 타격 케이지는 손님 수를 야외 최대 수용 인원의 50%로 제한합니다. 개인 미용 서비스는 얼굴 가리개를 쓴 손님에게 얼굴 가리개를 쓴 스태프가 예약제로만 제공할 수 있습니다. 손님이나 스태프 중에 한 명이라도 얼굴 가리개를 벗어야 하는 페이셜이나 면도와 같은 서비스는 허락되지 않습니다. 음식과 음료수는 손님에게 제공될 수 없습니다. 식당이나 양조장, 와이너리, 바, 그리고 모든 비필수 소매업체는 밤 10시부터 아침 6시까지 문을 닫아야 합니다. 슈퍼바이저 발거가 말씀하셨듯이 이것은 통금 시간은 아닙니다. 야외 모임은 세 가족 이하의 15명으로만 모일 수 있습니다. 이에 더해서 카운티는 케이스 수와 혹은 병원 입원자 수가 만약 계속해서 증가할 경우 더 많은 액션을 취하게 될 것입니다. 만일 5일 평균 케이스 수가 4,000개 이상이거나 병원 입원자 수가 매일 1,750명 이상이 되면 식당이나 양조장, 와이너리, 바에서 야외 혹은 실내 식사가 금지될 것이며 이러한 사업체들은 픽업이나 배달 서비스만 제공할 수 있을 것입니다. 만약 5일 평균 케이스 수가 4,500개 이상이거나 병원 입원자 수가 매일 2,000명 이상이 되면 세이퍼의 홈 명령이 3주간 실행될 것입니다. 이 명령은 오직 필수 영업 종사자들과 응급처치 요원들 그리고 필수 영업을 위한 서비스에 일하는 사람들만 집을 나갈 수 있습니다. 그에 더해서 밤 6시 밤 10시에서 아침 6시까지 통금이 시작될 것입니다. 이것은 필수 근로자를 제외한 경우입니다. 현재 증가 속도가 매우 빠르게 증가하고 있기 때문에 확산을 늦추기가 더 어려운 상황입니다. 또한 더 추운 날씨와 독감 시즌이 다가오고 있기 때문에 더 위급한 상황입니다. 만약 현재 속도로 케이스 수와 병원 입원자 수가 증가한다면 12월 6일까지 1일 케이스 수는 4,000개가 될수 있고 1일 병원자 입원자 수는 1,600에서 2,600명 사이가 될수 있습니다. 이, 이때는 오늘부터 3주도 안 되는 기간 내에 있을 수 있는 일들입니다. 가족이 아닌 사람들과의 실내 모임은 계획을 바꾸는 것이 바람직합니다. 다른 사람들과 6피트 거리를 유지하기 힘든 큰 무리가 모이는 경우 모든 액티비티를 피하도록 하십시오. 
나이가 많은 사람이나 기저질환이 있는 사람들과 함께 있다면 실내이든 야외이든 얼굴 가리개를 사용하십시오. 그리고 사업체나 직장 또 소매업체에서 만든 모든 규칙에 따르십시오. 우리가 잘못된 방향으로 가는 것 같은 생각이 들기 때문에 매우 혼란스러울 수 있습니다. 그러나 팬데믹 초기와 여름에 했던 것처럼 우리가 함께 일한다면 우리 커뮤니티에서 확산을 막는 데 다시 성공할 수 있습니다. 코비드19는 매우 가혹하고 제한이 없거나 느슨했던 다른 커뮤니티와 주에서 충격적인 수의 사람들이 아프고 죽는 것을 보게 되었습니다. 유타주에서는 현재 케이스룰이 10만 명당 1,200명입니다. 인디애나주에서는 10만 명당 1,100명입니다. 캘리포니아주에서는 10만 명당 250명인데 LA 카운티에서는 현재 10만 명당 20명입니다. 지금까지 우리가 해왔던 것들이 성공적이었지만 우리는 다시 한번 우리가 한 약속과 근면성을 새롭게 하여 코비드19의 확산을 늦추어야 합니다. 이제 현재 상황에 대해서 업데이트를 말씀드리겠습니다. 유감스럽게도 오늘 36명의 새로운 사망자를 보고하게 되었습니다. 16명은 80세 이상이고 이중 12명은 기저질환이 있었습니다. 9명은 65에서 79세 사이이고 모두 기저질환이 있었습니다. 8명은 50에서 64세 사이 그 중에 7명이 기저질환이 있었습니다. 2명은 30에서 49세 사이였고 1명이 기저질환이 있었습니다. 파사디네시에서는 1명의 사망자가 있었으며 자세한 점은 웹사이트 cityofpasadena.net에서 보실 수 있습니다. 새로 보고된 35명의 사망자 중에 5명은 전문 간호시설에 있었습니다. 이로써 LA 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 7,335명입니다. 인종과 민족성이 알려진 6,920명의 사망자 가운데 52%는 라틴 계열, 23%는 백인, 14%는 동양인, 10%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양섬 원주민, 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 오늘 보고된 새로운 케이스 수는 3,944 케이스입니다. 이로써 LA 카운티에서의 총 케이스 수는 34만 8,336개입니다. 이 수치는 롱비치시에서 14,487개, 파사디나시에서 3,160개를 포함한 수입니다. 노숙자들 가운데서는 2,232명이 확진 케이스였습니다. 현재 1,188명이 코비드19로 인해 병원에 입원해 있으며 27%는 중환자실에 15%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 2,421개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사한 결과 482개는 조사 중이고 1,939개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 시설에서의 양성 확진 케이스 수는 4만 1,506개인데 1만 9,655명은 거주자이고 2만 501명은 스텝이었습니다. 유감스럽게도 시설에서 사망한 사람들의 수는 3,094명이었고 이중 2,736명은 전문 간호시설에 살고 있었습니다. 감옥에서는 4,024명이 확진 케이스였고 3,508명은 수감자, 516명은 스텝들이었습니다 현재까지 340만 명 이상이 테스트를 받았으며 총 확진률은 9%였습니다. 수요일마다 우리는 카운터에 
카운티에서의 회복 수치를 보고 있는데 현재 케이스의 증가는 특히 11월 1일부터 두드러진 것으로 보여집니다. 11월 1일에 평균 1일 케이스 수가 1,100개를 조금 넘었으며 일주일 후인 11월 8일에는 그 수가 거의 2,000개에 달하였습니다. 확진률도 증가하고 있는데 11월 1일에는 3.9%, 11월 8일에는 5.1%, 현재는 7.1%로 확진률이 보고되었습니다. 11월 1일 평균 병원 입원자 수는 791명이었는데 2주 후인 11월 14일에는 1,010명으로 증가하였습니다. 1일 사망자 수는 계속 감소하는 것을 볼수 있는데 11월 8일의 평균 사망자 수는 10명으로서 제일 낮은 수였습니다. 계속해서 사망자 수가 감소하는 것은 아마도 코비드19로부터의 치료 방법이 발전한 것도 있고 또한 케이스와 병원 입원자 수가 갑자기 증가하는 것을 볼때 결국 나중에 코비드19로 사망하는 자의 수가 증가할 것임을 볼수 있습니다. 9월 중순부터 라틴계 주민들은 백인이나 흑인 주민들보다 두배 케이스률이 증가하였습니다. 동양인 주민들은 계속해서 가장 낮은 케이스률을 볼수 있습니다. 11월 7일에 라틴 계열 주민의 병원 입원 수치는 10만 명당 10.5명이었고 이 수치는 백인 주민들의 10만 명당 3.8명보다 2배 이상 되는 수입니다. 동양인 주민들은 백인 주민들과 비슷한 병원 입원자 수를 가지고 있는데 8월 중순부터 이 수치는 모든 인종 그룹보다 제일 낮은 수치입니다. 9월 중순부터의 사망자, 사망률은 모든 인종 간에 감소하였으며 그 차이도 줄어들었습니다. 11월 6일에 라틴계 주민들은 10만 명당 1.33명, 백인보다는 2배 이하였습니다. 흑인 주민들은 10만 명당 1명이 안 되는 수치이고 백인 주민과 비슷한 수치입니다. 11월 8일에 낮은 리소스 지역에 사는 사람들은 10만 명당 184개의 케이스류이었고 높은 리소스 지역에서는 10만 명당 111 케이스류이었습니다 11월 8일에 낮은 소득 지역에서 사망률은 10만 명당 1.5명이었는데 이 수치는 높은 소득 지역보다 두배 높은 수치였습니다. 끝으로 올해는 많은 사람들에게 어려운 해였고 올해는 원하는 방식대로 공휴일을 보낼 수 없는 상황입니다. 여행이나 친구와 가족들과 만나고 파티를 하고 또 다른 여러 가지 활동들을 하고 싶지만 올해는 아직 그렇게 하기 안전하지 않습니다. 안전한 땡스기빙을 보내기 위한 팁을 알려드리고 싶습니다. 먼저 아무도 여행을 하지 않도록 권장하는 바입니다. 만약 여행을 하기로 결정하였다면 주정부에서 여행에 대한 지침을 반드시 따르십시오. 집에 돌아온 후에는 14일 동안 격리를 해야 합니다. 집에 머물고자 가능하면 집에 머물고 한 집에 사는 사람들하고만 휴일을 기념하십시오. 함께 살지 않는 친구들과 또 가족들과는 테크놀로지를 사용하여 만나고 이야기하십시오. 만약 모이기로 결정한다면 사적 모임에 대한 지침을 따르십시오. 야외에서는 다른 두 가족 이상 모이면 안 되고 총 15명까지만 모일 수 있습니다. 먹거나 마실 때를 제외하고는 얼굴 가리개를 쓰고 적어도 6피트의 거리를 유지해야 합니다. 음식이나 식기 도구를 나누어 쓰지 말고 전체 모임을 2시간 내로 제한하도록 하십시오. 
마지막으로 다른 사람들에게 베풀 수 있다면 지역의 음식 창고나 음식을 나누어주는 곳에 기부할 수 있습니다. 이번 추계 기간에 먹을 것이 충분하지 않은 사람들을 돕기 위해 그렇게 할수 있습니다. 또한 웹사이트 covid19.lacounty.government/food 웹사이트에서 그런 다른 도울 수 있는 방법들을 찾아보실 수 있습니다. LA 카운티 여러분 모두에게 계속해서 함께 일하고 다른 사람들을 위해 희생하고 또이 어려운 시기를 헤쳐나가기 위해서 하시는 모든 일들에 대해 감사드립니다. Thank you. Next, man, um, Alan Chang will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 各位下午好,感谢你们参加我们的新闻发布会。感谢督察委员巴结女士和全体督察委员会昨天巴结女士曾经提到县政府会采取措施应对目前疫情的攀升我在这里感谢督察委员会将大众的卫生和安全放在首位并在整个疫情期间督知疲倦的领导我们根据
我们只能采取驯兽或果断的措施，而且很不幸，需要我们付出牺牲。当病例以目前的速度增加时，我们很难减缓病毒的传播，而且，当我们进入寒冷的冬天，再加上流感季节，事态会变得更加复杂。病例的预测，如果按目前的病例增加速度，住院人数的增加速度，那么到了十二月六号，可以预见每天新增病例将达到四千人，每天住院人数将达到一千六到两千六之间，这留给我们的时间不到三周。我们不断的应该提醒自己，也应该相互提醒，一定要坚持那些阻止病毒传播而行之有效的方法，来阻止病毒给我们带来的痛苦和死亡。取消任何与非家庭成员之间的室内聚会，避免任何大型聚会，或很难保持社交距离的聚会。当你与年长者或已知患有其他疾病的人在一起时，不管是室内室外，请一定佩戴口罩，并且遵守社交所有商业工作场所或零售的一些规定。也许我们所有人都感觉到，我们似乎走在错误的道路上。尤其是当我们看看过去受约所做的一切，一切来延缓病毒传播的工作，但我们没有失败，我们采取了措施，我们一起努力了。不管在瘟疫初期还是在炎炎夏日，我们都成功的阻止了病毒的传播。我们必须再次努力，重复我们过去所做的。其他州的一些状况 ，COVID-19 非常猖獗。我们已经见证了其他社区和其他州县，若控制措施寥寥或几无控制，则会有大面积的感染，成批的人病重并去世。例如，犹他州现在是每十万人就有一千二百人感染；再如，印第安纳州每十万人中就有一千一百人感染；在加州这一数字是每十万人两千五百人感染，两两百五十人感染。我们所做的表现出了成效。我们现在只要重拾我们的意志和我们决我们的决心，来阻止 COVID-19。下面是每日简报。很不幸，我们又有三十六人因新冠病毒去世，其中十六人是八十岁以上的长者，十人十二个人中患有其他疾病，九人年龄介介于六十五岁到七十九岁之间。所有的九人都患有其他疾病，八人年龄介于五十岁到六十四岁之间，七人患有其他疾病；两人年龄介于三十岁到四十九岁之间，其中一人患有其他疾病。另外，帕萨迪纳市还有一例去世。不包括长滩市和帕萨迪纳市的，在去世的三十五人中，有五人来自苏联护理机构。非常不幸。我现在总的死亡人数达到了七千三百三十五人。在此，我要对那些在疫情中失去亲人的每个人表达问候，希望你们从悲痛中走出，重振你们的生活。因新冠病毒去世的人中有六千九百二十人的逐一背景与分类，分类结果如下：拉丁裔占百分之五十二，白人占百分之二十三，亚洲人占百分之十四，非裔占百分之十。
，夏威夷和太平洋群岛原住民所占比例不足百分之一，还有百分之一属于其他族裔。今天我们新添三千九百四十四例新的病例，这样洛杉矶县的病例总数攀升到了三次。四万八千三百三十六例，这一数字包括长滩市的一万四千四百八十七例和帕萨迪纳市的三千一百六十例，两个城市都有独立的市卫生部，有两千二百三十二例来自无家可归的人群。现有确诊新冠病毒患者的住院人数为一千一百八十八人，其中。百分之二十七的人住在加护病房，而其中又有百分之十五的人使用呼吸机。我们对两千四百二十一一个大型住宅或非住宅机构做了调查，这些机构中均有至少一个已知的新冠病毒患者，其中四百八十二个人在调查中，已结束的调查的有一千九百三十九个。机构确诊病例的总数为。四万零一百五十六例，其中居民为一万九千六百五十五例，员工为两万零五百零一例。我们非常沉重，因新冠病毒去世的人中有三千零九十四人来自机构住所，而其中两千七百三十六人来自熟练护理机构。所有监禁场所总的确诊病例为四千零二十四人，其中。三千五百零八人为囚犯，五百一十六人为职员。加州监狱有两百七十例，其中一百九十五例为囚犯，七十五人为管教人员。联邦监狱有七百六十例，其中七百四十二人为囚犯，十七人为管教管教人员。少年管教所有一百八十七人，其中八十七人为囚犯，一百人为管教人员。我现在有超过两百四十万的居民进行了新冠病毒测试，并上报了测试结果，其中百分之九的测试呈阳性。我再来看看恢复数据、事发日病例数据。每星期三我们都审核我现在恢复数据，其中有七天的事发病例日的平均数。我们的数据显示，这一波病例从十一月一号开始明显上升。十一月一号那天，每天新增病例只略高于一千一百例。一个星期后的十一月八号，就几乎到了，达到了两千例，这非常让人担忧。成阳率，成阳率从十一月一号的百分之三点九上升到了十一月八号的五点一，今天这一数据为百分之七点一。成阳率的增加更让人感到不安。因为它表明社区传播在加速。每日住院病例，十一月一号住院人数为七百九十一人，两周后即十一月十四号，这一数字攀升到了一千零十人。每日死亡人数，十一月八号平每天平均死亡人数为十人，而疫情从三月开始以来，这是最低的。死亡人数的降低可能部分因为治愈率的提升，但我们也会警惕，随着每日病例和住院人数的攀升 ，COVID-19 致死人数也会上升。感恩节即将到来，我们要谈谈安度感恩节
，我要给大家送去最诚挚的感谢问候。这一年是一个极其困难的年，对我们许多人来说，这个感恩节可能不能像以往那样去旅去旅游、去探亲访友、聚会热闹，还有很多其他热闹活动，这些都会给我们带来风险。我想与大家分享几点安全度过感恩节的小常识：第一，绝对不建议去旅行；如果一定要去，请遵守州政府关于旅行的规定，包括回家后进行十四天的隔离。如果在家中与家人一起欢度节日，而与其他亲朋好友，最好是通过现代科技进行视频或语音交流。如果一定要举行聚会，一定要遵守聚会规定，邀请不要超过两个另外的家庭，总人数不要超过十五个，且在室外举行，佩戴口罩，除了吃喝的时候可以摘下口罩。每个人相互之间距离保持六尺的距离，不要分享食物或餐具。聚会的时间最好不要超过两个小时。如果你有能力捐赠，请将食物捐赠给当地的食品捐赠站，以帮助那些有困难吃不饱的人。你可以上网站 covid19.lcounty.gov forward slash food 去。找找如何捐赠。今年是一个既不平常也十分困难的年，我想告诉大家的是，我十分感激我们社区中所有的人，我很荣幸我能与你们这些富有爱心的邻居相处，我很荣幸我的同僚十分勤奋互相帮助，我也十分感谢我的家人或朋友。感谢全体洛杉矶的居民，感谢你们一起努力为他人牺牲，力所能及的度过这个十分困难的时期。我十分感谢所有的你们或你们所做的一切。That's concludes for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.